0: It's funny that this morning that really the themes that have come through are so much on uh, the message that uh, God gave me and I titled the message Hope, the Holy Spirit and His Presence and I'll probably keep it a bit short today now, um, we've taken up a lot of time and it's just been good and God's just already done stuff hasn't He? Like, you know, But I just wanted to talk a little bit about those three things, our hope the Holy Spirit and his presence because actually those things are linked and um, there's a verse, Proverbs 13, that says that um, hope that is delayed dries the bones um, or deferred, hope deferred dries the dries bones of spirit. It gets really um, discouraged and I just wanted you to think about this. the One of the biggest things that gives wings to our faith is hope. Do you know that you don't need faith if you've already got something? Is that true? Yes, because we've already got it. We don't need the faith. We don't even need hope or the expectation of the good thing happening because we've already got it. And when you read that verse, sometimes you're like, oh, it's the promise that God's giving is being delayed. And and so, you know, I, I, I start to despair. But it's actually the loss of the hope that's the problem. It's hope that is deferred. Hope that's deferred. So it's that... That actual, hey, this God of mine is actually going to do something. The situation that I'm in is drastic, it's terrible, and it's overwhelming, but I'm going to hope in Him. And I just wanted to go through some things this morning. Um, we're going to look at Abraham firstly. So if you went to Romans chapter 17, verse 21, it's going to read a little bit about this man, Abraham. Now we most of us will know that um, Abraham was promised by God that he would have a son and he would be the father of many nations. The problem was Abraham was very, very old. can't be Romans 17. It must be seven, beg your pardon. Otherwise, I've just added a chapter, which isn't very good. (laughs) Let's make it up as I go along. So Romans chapter 7 and verse... No, it can't be even right either. What have I done? I've lost it. Romans 4, (laughs) 17 to 21. Okay. Yes, that's it. All right. So Romans chapter 4, 17 to 21. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations, This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and he creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, he was raised to life to make us right with God. So this morning, when we're thinking about Abraham, there's some things that, that he did that helped him hope in God. Okay? Number one, he actually believed in him. He believed that this God who promised would deliver on his promise. Why could he do that? Well, God can't lie. God cannot lie. And if he promises something, it's the truth. And Abraham looked at himself, he, he, I don't know, I guess they didn't have mirrors then, he maybe went over to the oasis and looked in the water and thought, you know, you ever done that in front of the mirror, (laughs) looking, (laughs) a few lines and stuff? But he looked at his body and he thought, this body's not real flash, you know, how could I actually have a kid? It's not possible, but not only that, he looked at his wife as well and thought, she's beyond (laughs) it, you know. There's no way that she can have a baby. But yet, he looked beyond that. And and he started to have a hope in the God that promised. Okay? Now, sometimes people will say, you know, you just got to have faith, which means you just ignore those things. No, you don't. Did Abraham ignore it? No, he didn't. He looked at his body and he thought, this body's not going to cut it. He looked at his wife's body and said the same thing. It's just not going to happen. You know, we're... We're just not. TMI. <laughs> but they didn't ignore the facts. Abraham didn't ignore the facts that were around him or, and he thought, you know, this in the natural looks impossible. This looks like it could never, ever happen. And when the Bible talks about it, it says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. So he didn't ignore what was happening, but Abraham somehow connected into a hope that was higher than an earthly hope, a hope that would not disappoint, a hope that would actually bring him to the point where the promise could come through. You see, we're not to ignore what's happening, but what we're to do is start to hope in Something else other than the natural circumstances. This morning we hear testimony that a lady had cancer and she's got six months to live. No matter which way they go. Even if they operate, it's you know, we're giving you six months. Naturally we look at that and we think, Well, there's no hope. Let's just despair, let's just go along with the flow and and, and let it happen. But guess what? There's a group of people praying and believing and hoping in someone who would not disappoint them. Hoping in someone who would not disappoint them. And that was God. So Abraham had a hope within him. It was a hope that didn't just consider the natural circumstances but considered the God who actually created the nature. You see, there is no one higher than God. He is the ultimate authority. He's the one who made everything. He made you. He gave you breath. And he can work in your life. But there might be some here that, that are in a stage of their life where they're like, there's no hope. And can I tell you something? Don't give up. Don't give up. As soon as that, that hope dies, your faith will die. But as long as that hope is alive, as long as, as you've got the hope that one day there will be something better, You can keep going. Because when you run out of that hope, that's when you're going to die. That's when you're going to shrivel up. And you need to remain in the hope. The foundation is important. You need a hope in God. And guess what? You're not the first one in that situation. You really aren't. If you look at Lamentations chapter 3, it starts to go through all of the bad things that are happening around Lamentations three one three sorry, not 3, 1, but 3, 3.1, but 3.31 talks about it. And the writer starts to say, well, wait a minute. Yet I'm going to start to remember what God has done. Then it goes on to say, his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And and the writer starts to come back to who God really is. Not what the situation is, but who God is. This God that has saved us, this God that has placed a hope in our heart of salvation, came back to that. And the funny thing about the hope that we have is it will never, ever disappoint. And there's a reason for that. There's a couple of reasons. Because the love of God remains in us always. If you read through Romans chapter 5, it talks about that, our hope will not disappoint us. Because the Holy Spirit sheds his love abroad in our heart. It will never, ever disappoint us. But you see, if I'm starting to think that my hope is just based on my natural circumstances, I'll probably never see the promise fulfilled. And we need the Holy Spirit to start to bring that hope alive within us. You see, the Holy Spirit was promised to us as a seal, something to show us that we are the sons of God. We're the daughters of God. We are the children of God. Someone who he loves beyond measure. When we start to know that love, of course we have hope. Because a person who is loved knows the lover. And the lover is God. He is the one who loves and he has given us the Holy Spirit and and, um, Ian mentioned that this morning, how the Holy Spirit is living within us. That's a hope inside of us, but yes, he can be quenched. Hope doesn't disappoint because it's based on God's love and it's really important to understand that. It's Him who loves us unconditionally. And if you go through Romans eight, it talks about how we're saved with this hope of transformation in our life, that things won't always be the same as they've always been, that, that God can move in our life, that He can do something that that we thought He couldn't do. But we're saved in the hope of that transformation. We wait patiently, we wait confidently. And guess what? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. If you are now going through a season where you think there's no hope, you need to draw on the Holy Spirit. He's in you. He's alive inside of you. But yes, he can be quenched. (laughs) He helps us in our weaknesses. It says, when we don't know what to pray, he prays for us with groanings that can't be uttered. He intercedes on our behalf, and sometimes we just feel that we're so alone that that nothing can save us, but sometimes we just need to latch onto that Holy Spirit within us, that that power of God that he's released into our life, and we need to hope against the natural hope. We need to believe in the God that's believable. We need to, to put our full trust in him, and that's where it starts to happen, when we trust, when we trust When we believe this God who saved us, didn't he save you? Didn't he turn your life around? Didn't he free you from your sin? Well, that hope doesn't die. The Holy Spirit lives within you and he empowers you. He gives you hope. He gives you comfort. He gives you strength. He gives you the ability to be patient because we wait patiently and confidently. We don't just wait suffering like this is never going to happen. Yes, we wait patiently and we wait confidently. We know our God and that leads us to the next point, his presence. See, I married Joe 20 years ago. We decided that that would be nice. <laughs> well, I did and <laughs> hopefully it's nice for her. I think it is. <laughs> but you know what? It was a great day. The night before, though, I had a big asthma attack. The only time I've ever had one in my life. Must have been nervous, something happening. But it was a good expectation. It was a hope of a future with this lady. To be my wife for the rest of my life. That someone I can love and and care for and and show God to. And I love that testimony this morning, Catherine, about Mark. Isn't that beautiful? A man who has stood up and said, I am going to be God in this house. Not god almighty but i'm going to represent him i'm going to bring to my wife his love i'm going to show her that that if we can trust in him things can change things can change so we got ready for the wedding and then we turned up we gave our vows and promised to love one another forever and we still do but you know what? Well, that would have been a total sham. If on that day after I said I would do, I said, see you, Joe. I'm going to live somewhere else. You stay here, but you know what? I'm going. We had a great wedding. We had celebrations. She was dressed up beautifully. I cried and stuff. You know. Because <laughs> she looked so beautiful. <laughs> but my heart was just so happy I was overwhelmed with what was happening this was the wedding day but do you know what a wedding does not make a marriage Mel Sercombe said to me one day he said people will spend thousands on their wedding but not a dollar on their marriage <laughs> they come to the altar and make that commitment but what if I just said, see you, Joe. We just went our separate ways after the wedding day. You know what? We're married. We're legally married. That, that bit of paper goes into the government. They write it in their book, wherever it is, or on the computer, so that they know that we're married. We had a wedding. But it's not about that day. This is about a lifetime commitment. A marriage is getting to know one another. It's about spending time together. It's about finding out who we are, adapting and changing, and, and all the time working towards building a better relationship. And do you know what that builds? It builds trust. I trust Joanne. She trusts me. And yet sometimes it's like that with our salvation. We, we come to God, it's like, whoa, this is great. I've accepted God in my life, my sins are forgiven. And then we just sort of part ways. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Are you saved? Absolutely. Did you come to the altar that day and, and find him? Yes, you did. But I'll tell you what, true salvation goes way beyond that. And your hope will never, ever come alive if you do not build that relationship of trust with him. Romans fifteen thirteen says, God will fill you with joy and peace and cause you to trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, You see, my trust needs to be built up before I can hope. God will fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. And then, only after that, you will have a hope, a confident hope, a hope that that has the power of the Holy Spirit behind us. So this is what I'm asking today. Are you building up that hope? Are you building it up? There were five revivalists that were interviewed about the biggest impact on their revivals. All of them said this "Was time spent waiting before God. It wasn't their advertising campaign. It wasn't their amazing oratory skills. It wasn't their performance on stage. It was the time waiting before God. This is where I entered into his presence. This is where I came to know him. This is where I came to know his heart. This is where I built up my hope. This is where I built up my faith as I took time in his presence just to sit there. Not even an act of busyness in praise and worship, so that God never comes in. But I sat there before him and he filled my life. And you know what? When you enter that place, beyond the veil, as as Ian talked about this morning, when you enter into that place, there's someone who's gone before us, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. When the Israelites saw Moses, he came off the mountain after receiving the law. His face shone with the glory of God and he had to wear a veil so they wouldn't be exposed to it. Paul says that wasn't the point. They needed the veil not because of his glory shining through Moses but because their hearts weren't open to that glory Their hearts weren't open to that glory. Why is it that one man could scale the mountain and plead for God to show him his presence? And God passed by as he hid him in the cleft of a rock and as he passed by, the glory came and shone upon Moses. Yet we had all these people down on the plain that couldn't even just look at the glory on Moses' face. They were all men. But one of them knew God. It says that Moses talked with God face to face. He understood that, that that's what the relationship was meant to be. And that's what our relationship's meant to be. It's meant to be face to face. It says the veil's being removed. Why? Because we are meant to be living in God's glory. Because we reflect God's glory and it says that man is God's glory. Well, that's big mankind is man's glory i mean <laughs> god's glory that's amazing and you know what this does this transforms us so second corinthians chapter 3 it's going to read that from verse 12 Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. (laughs) Yes, even today when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Anyone here who is not a Christian today, never given their heart to the Lord, the day you do it, there's something going to be removed from your eyes so that you can see God. But it goes beyond that. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had their veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The veil had to be taken away. had to be taken away because what it did was stop the glory of God starting to reflect out of us. (laughs) Did you hear that before? It had to be taken away. Why? So we can actually look at him face to face, that we can start to soak in his glory, that we can be transformed into his image. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Transformed because the veil is taken away and Christian, if you do not spend that time with God, if you do not enter into that place of worship where you are actually soaking in his glory, you will not be transformed. And your hope will begin to die because you do not build a trust. You do not build a love. You do not build the relationship with God that you need. And Abraham... Believed in God. He didn't look at earthly hope. He looked at godly hope. And God never changes. He's good. And he's good forever. And he wants good things for us. So build your hope. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Enter into a place of worship. And I know there's many here who will, will probably be thankful and And thank God for stuff he's done. There's probably some who will praise him and and say, God, you are really amazing. Let's face it, we can think someone's amazing who's a scumbag. We've seen it so many times on the sporting field, the rock and roll field. Wow, they're amazing, but their life is a shambles. They're just not nice people. But guess what? Praise is for what? someone is in some area and they can say, yeah, they're amazing, they're an amazing football player and you can praise that. You can even thank people who are horrible because they've done something for you. But I tell you what, when it gets down to worship, you are now soaking in the presence of God. You are now just being there because they are there and it's his presence that comes in. And to enter into that place of worship, if you've never done it, And I know there's Christian people that have been in church for a very long time that never have worshipped God because their heart has never surrendered and never said, God, you're my boss. You're my everything. And only when you get to that place of worship is your heart actually surrendered. Only when you're in that place of worship do you start to soak up who God is. You are in his presence. It's not because he's done amazing things. It's not because he is amazing. But it's just because he is. And that presence starts to fill your soul and it refreshes like nothing else because, you know, when we receive that Holy Spirit, it says times of refreshing will come. Holy Spirit, sweet Holy Spirit, he's amazing. And he's there to help you. So this morning, don't ever give up. Let the hope of God rise in you. And if you're in a bad situation, trust in him because he will deliver you. God is faithful who promised.